0: Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Well, good morning, Christ community. Welcome. Uh, my name is Jordan Green. If you're new with us, I'm part of the pastoral team here at our Leewood campus. And today, as we've said, is our Worship Together Sunday, so welcome, kids. Uh, it's really a joy for all of us to come together and worship, uh, all ages, as one big family of God. Uh, so I'm thankful and glad that you're all here. I also have to mention that uh, it's tomorrow is Sarah Beth and I's seven-year wedding anniversary. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> yes. She's sick home with our child, so... <laughs> Um, but it's times like these, these Worship Together services um, that just remind me how our family is bigger than the three of us, uh, but really includes all of you. Um, and I love these Worship Together Sundays that remind me of that. Uh, if you've been with us the past few weeks, we have been looking at vices and virtues. Those vices, that, the habits that bind us, blind us, and drag us away. And not only do we want to learn to flee them But desire to replace with virtue, which calls us into Christ's likeness. And this morning, we'll be discussing the vice of greed and the virtue of generosity. So it should be fun, right? We all love to talk about money. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, 1 Timothy 6, reading this letter of instruction that Paul has written to Timothy. But before I dive in, I want to ask an important question, Have you ever tried to catch a monkey? Any of you? Yes, that's where we're starting this morning. Well, (laughs) some of you may be familiar with this process, uh, but others not so much. And kids, if you ever wanted your own Curious George, now's the time to take notes, all right? So here's how you catch a monkey. Step one, tie a coconut to a tree. Step two, cut a small hole in the coconut, just big enough for the monkey's hand to slip through and put some rice or other goodies inside, and then you wait. The monkey will reach in to get the rice, and he won't be able to get his clenched fist out of the hole. So all you have to do is pull in the tied-up coconut, because the monkey won't let go to get away. And then you have your own pet monkey. So there you go. This is one of those uh, do-try-this-at-home type of things. (laughs) It, It actually looks a bit like this. So. But here's the thing. What actually leads to the monkey's downfall? Because it's not the trap, nor the goodies inside. Rather, it's the monkey's insatiable desire for more and his unwillingness to let go. And as we all learned from Disney, monkeys are terribly greedy. (laughs) And like this monkey trap, greed is tricky, right? Because before you know it, you haven't gained anything. But rather, you are the one in its grasp. Now, thank goodness none of us are in danger of being greedy, right? We all know greedy people, and those people are the worst. But thank goodness it's not you or I. I mean, I'm not greedy, I I don't have any money. I'm not greedy, I just like nice things. Or I'm not greedy, I just want to get to a certain place in life, and then I'll give. But we're all probably closer to being trapped by greed than we think. And I should be the first to confess it, right? I mean, I like money, and I'd like a little more of it. And talking about money this morning, I know is awkward uh, and uncomfortable uh, for you and me both. Uh, we can assume that I'm gonna talk about how we spend money. And I'm probably gonna recommend giving some of it away. Uh, I wanna be upfront as, m- upfront as much as I can about all that to avoid any manipulation. Uh, in fact, manipulation is what Paul is writing against in this letter, those who would use godliness as a means of financial gain. So I know that I myself, us as a church, need to heed this warning of greed just as much as any of us do individually. But we mustn't shy away from talking about money. It's too important and there's too much at stake. So if we learn one thing from the text this morning, it's that the more you want, the less you have. The more you want, the less you have. And you and I are probably greedier than we think. And as we explore this text together, we're going to look at three main big things. That greed promises happiness but can't be satisfied. What we're looking for is already offered to us, and we better give it away before it gets us. So first, greed promises happiness but can never be satisfied. And in fact, Paul tells us that the greedy person destroys themselves, their relationships, and even their faith. So let's look together here at 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-9. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation." From the writings of Aquinas in the 13th century to modern-day writers, greed is understood as being too attached to money or possessions. Having an excess love or desire for money or any possession that money can buy. The love of money, I think, is the perfect definition. Because that's the essence of, of a vice, isn't it? A disordered love. Because it's not that money or possessions are bad. I mean, we were made to work, to create. To be successful, to flourish. We believe that. Greed isn't found out there in things, it's found in here. In our hearts, our passions, our desires for more and for ownership. In fact, it sounds a bit like this. Mm-hmm. I wanna be a billionaire, so and that's about all I could play of that song. <laughs> <laughs> But if you've ever turned on the radio, you know it, right? The problem is it sounds a lot more like this. Paul is writing for Timothy back then and for us now that we might not be enticed by the false voices of our time that see money as a way to happiness. Paul says if we have the basic necessities, we should be content. Don't worry, I'm not going to play the Jungle Book quote, the clip. Because you came into this world the same way that you leave it, right? With nothing. And as our very own Tom Nelson would say, you don't see U-Hauls pulled behind hearses. And it doesn't have to be money, right? I mean, students. It could be the desire for the next thing that everyone just has to have. Or it can be the endless greedy pursuit of what's next in life. Once I'm in college, I'll be happy. Once I'm married or have a job. But the truth is that cycle of want never ends. It just creates the empty shell of a person who's never satisfied or content. Because the more you want, the less you have. But greed doesn't stop by destroying us individually. It also affects our relationships. So we continue on in 1 Timothy with verse 9 through part of 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You see, Paul writes that the desire to be rich plunges people, right, other people, into ruin. He's talking about everyone around you. Greed robs our ability for compassion and mercy, and it impacts our kids, our co-workers, and our community. This is why he writes, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. The love of money means setting wealth and profit up as our main motivation, as our God and we might do all sorts of things in the name of money that we might not do in the name of God. You're likely familiar with the story of Robert Courtney. And in fact, some of you may have been impacted by him. And this is truly greed at its worst. Around 35 years ago, Robert Courtney was one of the first pharmacists in Kansas City to dispense mixed cancer medication. It made him wealthy. But in 2001, it was discovered he had been diluting thousands of medications and pocketing the difference in cost. People's very health, their very lives, were impacted forever. It's a disgusting story. And when questioned by investigators, his only reason was greed, making more money. Rebecca DeYoung, in her book, Glittering Vices, we've quoted quoted it a lot, I know, says it like this. The hallmark of well-entrenched greed, then, is a willingness to use other people to serve our love of money, rather than use the money to serve our love of people. A disordered love, money over people. Greed turns people into a commodity, and it robs them of justice. And it doesn't have to be an extreme example, like Robert Courtney. In your own workplaces, what happens when profit or your own compensation is the prime motivation for your work? And how is your workplace and the people that your product is meant to serve, how are they impacted? So much evil grows out of greed. How many lies, abuses, wars, stealing? How many families have been ruined, children ignored, and children who end up imitating the same destructive lifestyle? But greed doesn't even stop there. Ultimately, it even destroys our faith we look back at verse 10. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As we said earlier, the issue of money is too important not to address because not just our happiness is at stake, but our very faith. And to me, to you, it might seem unrealistic that the love of money could lead someone away from the faith until we remember what it really means to love money. Because the love of money doesn't look like pulling a Scrooge McDuck, right? (laughs) And then diving into mountains of gold. No, we get seduced by money because of what it promises us. Money claims I can be important, successful, admired, loved. Money promises that I can be safe, that I don't have to fear want. And there's nothing like the fear of want to stir up the greedy desires of our heart. It's that sort of fear, that sort of worry that can make the best of us grasp and hoard, do whatever we have to do to have more, to ensure our safety and our security. And how easily can I set my hope and trust in money and possessions? Essentially, greed undermines our trust in God. And when we don't trust God, we're far from the faith. Because the more you want, the less you have. But Paul's answer to us and to Timothy is that what we're looking for is already offered to us. Whatever greed promises, God's promise is better. So let's look now at verses 11 through 16. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then look at verse 15, how he, how he ends this section referring to Jesus. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And we say amen as well. Money can never be our king because Jesus is the true king of kings. He promises to keep us safe. He promises to give you the only status that lasts, a daughter or a son of God. He promises to actually satisfy and bring joy. It's not, that, it's not just that greed is wrong. It's that it doesn't even make sense for the follower of Christ. How can I believe the lies of money over the promises of Jesus? So how then do we flee the grasp of greed? How do we find joy? How do we express our trust in God? We live lives of generosity. We give it away before it gets us, before we're caught in greed's clutches. Because the only way to fight greed is by giving. And it's a paradox, I know. You know, the more that you want, the less you'll have, even if you end up with more. But the more you give, the more joy you'll have, even though you might end up with less. But this is the answer that Paul gives in these last three verses. Let's look together. As for the rich in this present age, which compared to all the world means us, all of us, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And and hopefully we heard that, right? Money and possessions, they're meant to be enjoyed. Stuff isn't evil, it's a gift to be enjoyed. And then Paul goes on to charge us. They are to do good. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In the fight against greed, there's no substitute than the act of giving it away. Now I know what you're thinking, right? Here it comes. (laughs) He's going to ask me to give to the church. (laughs) Well, you're right. Um, But with all sincerity, with all the sincerity that I can muster, um, and we say this a lot in a variety of contexts, it's not what we want from you, it is what we want for you. Because if greed leads to despair and destruction, if our very souls are at stake, as Paul says, and the cure is right there, I would be cruel not to say something about generosity. Whereas greed brings abuse, generosity brings healing. Whereas greed creates workplaces that focus on compensation, what I get from it, generosity turns our focus to contribution. How is my work a benefit for all, for the common good? Though greed brings war, generosity brings peace. And today is one of those days, Memorial Day, one of those special times that we give thanks for men and women who gave of themselves for us. But you might think, I don't have a greed problem, Jordan, you're wrong. (laughs) I don't love money and things that much. To that, we look back at DeYoung, uh, who offers an interesting thought experiment. Imagine that others had access to all our financial records and spending habits, investment portfolios, savings, checkbook registers, tax returns, cash flow, but knew nothing else about us. What sort of judgments would they make about our character, our loves, our excesses and deficiencies. Sounds like a community group activity to me, right? (laughs) I know if uh, my family did this, you would all think we have a small stake in Chick-fil-A franchise. Um, But obviously, that probably has more to do with gluttony, so we'll tackle it in a couple weeks. I'll be back here. Um, (laughs) DeYoung goes on to say that while greed is an internal problem, it does not necessarily stay hidden inside. Because patterns of getting and giving can reveal our heart's deepest priorities and attachments. So what do your patterns of getting and giving reveal? Because I think we all need this message. You, I, the church, everyone needs this message to heed the call to give. That's why while generosity is a lifestyle, and the act of, but the act of giving money and possessions is this tangible necessary practice that recognizes God as owner of it all and forms in us a generous heart. Giving is of course important to those who receive, but equally important is what it does to my heart, my passions, and desires. Because each time I reach out my hand to give over and over again, I'm rewiring my attachments. It's freeing me from the grip of greed. Some of you may have uh, gone through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Uh, This is something my wife and I did five years ago. And Dave is all about getting out of debt, right? I mean, he's militant. Get out of debt no matter what. But keep giving, he says. Be generous. Which seems ridiculous, right? Doesn't make sense. I could pay off my debt a lot quicker if I was generous to myself. But Dave understands If you just pay off your debt without learning to be generous, your heart doesn't change. Whatever pushed you into debt remains, and the only way to ensure it won't happen again is to give, to be free of greed's trap. Money and possessions are not the way to happiness, and it's not a novel idea. Researchers from across the US back it up. There are studies from Berkeley, Notre Dame, to the Harvard Business School, that, the hap- that say the happiest people in the world are generous people. And while they may not know the reason why, we do. The reason is because generosity forms our heart after our Creator. It forms a heart that trusts in God, the One who gave it all away. And when you do that, you find joy. And I know it's hard to give, Uh, honestly, it's supposed to be, right? It's a fight against the pull of our selfish desires. Hopefully, you see the destructive force of greed. Maybe you've experienced it. But maybe you're struggling on on how to give. So I do want to offer three quick tips uh, to aid us in living generously. First, I know for me, if I want to be generous, I have to watch my lifestyle. And one of the best ways to keep an eye on your lifestyle is with an old-fashioned budget. Sounds lame, right? (laughs) And personally, my wife and I, we have a tough time just being self-aware enough to stick to it. And I think many of us can experience that. But we will never be generous unless we plan to be generous. And at the very top line of our budget, each month is what we're going to give away. Don't give the leftovers, give first. Because a budget to regularly review also keeps generosity before our eyes. I know sometimes with with online tools of giving and year-end giving, uh, as beneficial and necessary as those are, they can sometimes keep us from feeling it. And a budget helps us to see it, to feel it, to know that it is a priority in our lives. Watching our lifestyle also calls the parents among us to think about how we instill generosity in our kids by first modeling it. How are our kids learning to be generous by what we do? And for those of you in community groups who maybe are meeting this week, this would be a great discussion topic to think creatively about because there are a lot of ways, uh, a, lot of, a lot of fun and interesting ways to do this together as a family. And then second, we need to start small, but never, we can start small, but never stop. I mean, none of it belongs to me anyway, right? Isn't that what we just read? It's all God's. So pick somewhere to start, and never stop. Yeah, but how much? That's the next question. It's the question I ask, right? And it just proves how greedy we are. (laughs) Simply tell me the minimum I have to give, and I'll give it. And that's why as much as we love C.S. Lewis, we can love-hate this quote that he gives us. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things in life we should like to do and cannot do because our commitment to giving excludes them. Ouch. (laughs) You have to give to the point that it affects your lifestyle. Otherwise, you're being greedy. There should be things in my life I want to do that I want to own, but can't because I give. Thus, Rebecca Young, searching for greed's antidote, writes, perhaps the best advice is the oldest. Tithe. Because not only do we believe that God expects us to tithe, we also believe it's the best way to be formed by something better than greed. I mean, think about it. If every week or every month or with every paycheck that you have, you give away 10%, you better believe that that's going to change you. Now, tithing isn't necessarily the starting point, and it's certainly not the finish line. Some of you might need to start with five or three or whatever, but start and never stop. Because this also means that once we hit 10%, we're not exactly done. Most of us could afford to give more, and in fact, many of you guys do. We have such a generous church, and many of you are role models for this message, for keeping greed at bay and living into a generous life. And finally, remember, we don't give to earn anything from God, because it doesn't work like that. We do it because of what he has done for us. It's how he made us. And when we give, we train ourselves to take hold of life. In verse 19, Paul is inviting us to generosity so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. Because giving is really about about what God wants for you in the future and for now. It might be difficult to, gri- to give at times. But the more we do it, the more joy and true life we experience. Because giving is about participating in the life of Jesus. The one who poured out everything, even his own life to rescue us. And participating in Jesus' life is immense joy. In giving, we participate in God's generosity to the world. And we find that, that that sort of living is truly life. As I said, uh, with my family, we did the Financial Peace University. We worked to keep a budget uh, and to maintain faithful generosity to the church. And then each year, uh, we get that giving statement from the church. You guys familiar with this? <laughs> that statement that adds up everything we gave. And each year, maybe some of you feel this too. You think, wow. That adds up <laughs> that's a good chunk of our earnings that could have gone to a new car a vacation or i could have put it away for my two-year-old daughter's college someday but then i think about where it goes and i often get to get to see how it's spent as a pastor i have the blessing of, of a front row seat to this i mean it's your generosity First of all, that allows me, a resident pastor, to be here. A generosity that aids the elderly and the orphans, that helps those through the bumps of unemployment, that helps people with the loss of their home. It's a generosity that reaches to the other side of the world to create communities of faith. So many community members served, compassion shown, and lives changed. And it's then, I don't really want any of that money back. Because we are a part of a church that understands. Understands that joy, that true living, is found in generosity. It's found in participating in the very generosity of God. Will you pray with me? Father, generosity produces gratefulness. I have so much to be grateful for because above all, I'm grateful for a savior who gave everything for my life. I repent of how easily I can put my hope and trust in money. Lord, please teach us to flee the false promise of money and possessions. Teach us to flee the destructive path of greed and learn to walk in the way of contentment and generosity. Rightly order our love, O Lord. And as Paul says, that we may hope in the one who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.